Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, love you guys. Good to see you. Happy Sunday. Usually I got a high energy sermon. Today, let me just start by lowering your expectations. Um, How many of you are tired, maybe feeling a little bit sick like I am? It's one of those days. If you're going to preach a sermon on suffering, you know you're not going to be at your best. So here I am. Had a great week. I got to preach in Ohio, which is a wonderful country. I also went to another country called Mexico. It was good to be there as well and met with some Mexican pastors and got to preach and teach. Did not architect my schedule well when I accepted the event. First time I've ever been to Mexico City. I was there two days. Halloween and Day of the Dead. Not the two ideal days to be in Mexico City. The, uh, the two pastors that showed me around, Mexican pastors, great guys. One of them is my friend, he's, he's, uh, just, he's a great guy. And as we're walking, everybody's wearing makeup and looks like demons, it's very awkward. And uh, to see guys wearing more makeup than a Kardashian was very interesting. And so, and so I, he, we're walking along and he literally freezes and he's just doing this, he's glitching. I was like, you okay, buddy? He's like, I don't like clowns, I don't like demons, I really don't like demon clowns. He's got one of those clown phobias. So this is my translator for two days on Halloween and Day of the Dead. And I said, well, thanks for persevering, brother. And he he really had to push through it because it was two days of a Scooby-Doo episode for him. And then... And then the other, the other Mexican pastor that's driving me around and showing me around, um, he was a remarkably uh, kind and wonderful guy and God's doing extraordinary things through their network in Mexico. And, uh, and I was thinking, um, you know, I'm a little tired, you know, I got a lot going on this week, I'm on the road, I'm getting a little bit sick, I'm 48, aging in dog years, you know, I got a lot to do. And I was kind of being selfish, thinking about myself and we were driving in the car and this uh, Mexican pastor who was driving me, uh, he just seemed a little sad and a little um, quiet. Um, and so I asked him, I said, are, are you doing okay, buddy? And I was in the passenger seat and, and he said, uh, I'm okay, it's a hard day. I said, okay, well, tell me what's going on. He said, no, no, I don't wanna burden you. I said, no, something is burdening you. What are you dealing with today? And uh, he said, let me show you. And so he pulled over and he ran to the back of the car and he grabbed an iPad and he came to the front and he said, uh, this is my daughter. And he showed me her all dressed up for uh, Halloween in Mexico. And uh, these are all of her classmates, all these beautiful little Mexican children dressed up. And he said, this is their photo a year ago today at their school. And uh, I said, yeah. He said, and, and we then moved. So we're no longer going, my, my daughter's no longer attending that school. And I said, well, Okay, I mean, beautiful Mexican kids and you now go to a different school. I said, what happened? He said, he said, that school collapsed in an earthquake and all those children are dead. He said, and it was, uh, he said, we, we moved and it was a year ago today that all of my daughter's friends died in the school. The multi-story elementary school collapsed in an earthquake and all the children died. He's an engineer, so he, rushed to the school as quickly as he possibly could and was trying to instruct people on how to remove the debris to try to get any children out that were still living. And he said, so my heart is just heavy today. I'm, I'm glad that we left because my daughter would have died, but I'm grieving for all the families who lost their children and my daughter is grieving today as well. And uh, as I was preparing for this sermon this week, it just reminded me that oftentimes we know very well what we're suffering with and we can get selfish and overlook 
the suffering of others. And sometimes people are suffering and they're suffering in silence. They don't say anything. And so today we're gonna, we're gonna talk about suffering in Jesus. And what I wanna tell you is that I, I love you and I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna beat you up. I wanna build you up. I want this to be like a, a family meeting and, uh, and I want this to be helpful. And, uh, and for some of you, this is gonna be a little emotionally expensive, um, but it's to make your soul healthy, okay? And uh, some of you are in a season of tremendous suffering. Some of you um, are walking with people that you know and love that are in a season of tremendous suffering. And, and we've all been to different schools and there's one school that every Christian attends and that's the school of suffering. And there are lessons that we learn in the school of suffering that you just can't learn anywhere else. In fact, Jesus, we're told in Hebrews five that he learned obedience through his suffering. So the school he went to was the school of suffering and Jesus got a degree in obedience. Okay, so, so when we suffer, we need to understand that it's a school, it's a classroom, it's an opportunity that God has given us, right, to, to graduate and to learn obedience. And so before we talk about your suffering, I wanna talk about Jesus' suffering, and I want his suffering to be the paradigm and the precedent for our suffering. And you think about it, uh, Jesus suffered what you and I suffer, whatever you and I categorically suffer. And some of you are already feeling it. You're like, this is a heavy sermon. People suffer, Amen. Okay? And if we don't help people suffer, we're not really helping them. We're not really helping them. Um, Jesus suffered, he suffered spiritually. Satan attacked him, demon-possessed people harassed him. I mean, religious leaders who were demonically empowered assaulted him. Satan filled his disciple Judas to betray him. How many of you, it's really spiritual suffering right now. It feels like a dark, demonic you know, season of opposition. Jesus had mental suffering. He was... He was mentally stressed. It says in Mark 14 that he was deeply troubled and distressed. How many of you mentally, you're just a little overwhelmed. You're a little glitched. You just, your mind can't handle any more data. Uh, there is a guy in the Old Testament named Job and, and it says that he got bad news. And before the person who brought him the bad news could leave, another person came and brought him more bad news. And he kept getting bad news after bad news. It was an avalanche. Uh, the counselors will call this complex grief. Something happens, you don't even have time to process it and something else happens. And the next thing you know, you're just sort of in mental anguish. You, you have more than you can actually handle. There's emotional suffering. Jesus had emotional anguish. We looked at his emotional life a few weeks ago. Uh, we see in the Bible that Jesus wept. Uh, it says that he sweated like drops of blood in anxiety. And some of you are emotionally just sort of at the end of your tether. It's a hard and exhausting season. Jesus had financial suffering. He was poor. There was, he was homeless. He had a small ministry account. Judas Iscariot, the bookkeeper, is stealing from him. Some of you know just the practical stress of financially, like I can't make ends meet. Somebody ripped me off. Something happened. I'm always short and there is an anxiety there. He had relational suffering. We tend to think of all the people who love Jesus, but think of all the people who abandoned Jesus. Uh, there's one occasion in the gospels where 5,000 men plus the women and the children came to hear Jesus teach. That's 20 or 30,000 people. You're looking at, you know, people that live in a small town. Jesus grew up in a town that was maybe 100 people. So to get 20 or 30,000 people together, I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. Um, and so they all came to hear him teach. And then, and then it says, as he preached, they all left. And he was down to the 12, his 12 disciples. And he asked them, do you wanna leave? And they basically said, we'd like to, but you have the words of life, so we don't know where else to go. <clears throat> 
Jesus was rejected in one moment by tens of thousands of people. That's a lot of relational abandonment and rejection. He had public suffering, they slandered him. What critics always do and what enemies always do, they try and create a narrative and carry that narrative forward. And so with Jesus, the narrative was, he's a demon possessed alcoholic and his mother is a liar. That was the narrative. And the critics just kept slandering him and carrying it forward. False charges, false witnesses, legally arrested. I mean, horrifying. He had physical suffering. It says that he was beaten, that he was flogged, um, that he was marred beyond human likeness is how Isaiah promised that he would appear. Physically, he had chronic, constant pain in the last hours of his life. How many of you, that would be, that would be you today? I got a friend of mine, pastor, I love him. I texted him this week. I said, I'm, I'm worried about you. I said, how is your sleep? He said, I can only sleep three to four hours a night. He's got a chronic back condition. He's met with all the specialists. He sleeps in a chair. I said, that is not a lifestyle, my friend. I'm concerned for your well-being, but it's, it's physical suffering and Jesus knows what physical suffering feels like. He also had uh, personal suffering and that is shame. Uh, they spit on Jesus. In that culture, it was tremendous disrespect. Uh, he was publicly tried and convicted as an evil man, falsely. Uh, they pulled out his beard, which was ultimate disrespect in a Near Eastern, Middle Eastern culture. And ultimately he was crucified openly, publicly, shamefully with his own mother looking him in the eye as he is bleeding and dying. And then he had total suffering and that is crucifixion. And crucifixion for Jesus is where all of his suffering culminates. And I told you when we looked at the emotional life of Jesus, that everything culminates at the cross. Um, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each provides at least a third of its content to the last week of Jesus, being betrayed by Judas, um, weeping in the garden of Gethsemane, being beaten and flogged and tried, being crucified and killed. The whole storyline of the Bible slows down into the last week and the death of Jesus and all of his suffering and his emotional agony and intensity, it increases at the cross. And it's interesting, uh, we've got a cross on top of our building, we've got a cross out front, we've got a cross when you walk in. Um, and if, if you've got a big cross, drop it off, we'll put it somewhere. We, we like the cross. Um, and we believe that it's, it's the emblem of our faith. And, and Christians have been making the sign of the cross and using the sign of the cross since the earliest days of the church. In the early church, there was a, a bit of a discussion as to what kind of the icon or the symbol of our faith would be. And ultimately the cross was chosen, which is really unusual because as an old hymn says, it's an emblem of suffering and shame. It's an emblem of suffering and shame. It is picking something that is very negative, but because it was the love of Jesus, it is also something very positive. And, and in the ancient world, crucifixion happened fairly frequently. On the day that Spartacus fell in battle, um, 6,000 soldiers were crucified in one day along a 120 mile stretch of road. So imagine if you got your car after church and decided we're gonna go to flag for the day. And 6,000 men were hanging, crucified, bleeding, dying, incontinent, suffering along the side of the highway. The point of crucifixion in the ancient world was the same as it is today in some extremist Islamic nations, and that is state-sponsored terror. 
it is done openly, publicly, shamefully. This would be like crucifying someone at the mall or a splash pad or over at Kiriland. That's where these things happened. And it was just horrifying and shocking. You'd just be about your daily business and then there's someone who's crucified and bleeding and screaming and dying. And, and, and the obvious point was to shock you and to scare you. Don't believe what they believe and don't behave how they behave or you'll suffer as they suffer. And so crucifixion was something that wasn't even done to Roman citizens. Uh, the ancient historian Josephus called it the most wretched of deaths. And in Deuteronomy, God says, anyone who is convicted, condemned, and hung on a tree is cursed of God. And the wrath of God is poured out upon the person who's crucified. When they were preparing Jesus for crucifixion, it started with a sleepless night. So he's exhausted and suffering, probably dehydrated. They beat him beyond recognition, an angry mob of men did. Um, the Bible says that he was marred beyond human likeness. They then uh, scourged him so that the flesh was literally ripped off of his body. Ancient reports would indicate that a rib would come flying off of a man's body just during the scourging. And many, many men didn't make it through the scourging. They simply died from that suffering. They then handed Jesus uh, probably a crossbar that weighed upwards of a hundred pounds. It was recycled, used, hewn timber that had the blood and the tears and the sweat of other men who had been executed. And they forced him to carry it perhaps a few miles to his place of crucifixion. Um, he had to walk through what would have been in that day, the shopping district where everyone is just about their business. You moms, just imagine you take your kid out to get you know, groceries for the week and you turn around and there's some bloody guy carrying a cross. That's, that's what happened. The Bible says that Jesus, he tripped, he fell, he was exhausted. And as he fell, the cross was across his back. And the medical doctors who examined this say that this is the equivalent of a head-on collision where your body is thrust into a steering wheel, no airbag deployed, no seatbelt on, and you have a deep chest contusion in the heart. And if you don't get medical treatment quickly, you will die. That's what happened to the Lord Jesus. So there was a man who helped him carry his cross to the place of crucifixion. He is then nailed through the most sensitive nerve centers on the human body, the hands and the feet. A crown of thorns is placed upon his head and then he is lifted up and he is looking at his mother. They tended to crucify people at eye level. Jesus is looking at his mother. Not only is he suffering, he is suffering, seeing the suffering in her face. Sometimes suffering is multiplied. On the cross then, the Lord Jesus, um, he takes our place and he suffers and dies for our sins. And the wrath of God is poured out on the son of God. All of the suffering of Jesus culminates with the wrath of God being poured out on the son of God. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our place. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. Jesus takes your place and puts you in his place. He suffers the wrath of God so you can receive the grace of God. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus experiences complete and total suffering at the cross and he experiences the wrath of God. What, what I find altogether shocking in the narrative storyline of the Bible is that we have a God who didn't experience suffering and he willingly comes to the earth to suffer 
and to experience suffering, even though he is not the one who causes suffering, it is our sin that ultimately, categorically causes suffering. Um, I wanna talk about Jesus' suffering and I want you to think today, you know, is there a category or multiple categories of your suffering that you could learn from him? And or is there someone that you're walking with, family, friend, coworker, neighbor, um, church member that is suffering and what category is their suffering in? Um, I'm gonna jump into the book of Hebrews and pull a few themes and threads out of Hebrews. The first is that suffering perfects us, Hebrews 2.10. It was fitting that he, we're talking about Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist. So Jesus is the creator and everyone and everything belongs to him and exists for him in bringing many sons to glory. That's you and I, this includes you ladies. It's a legal category of inheritance and rights should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what? Suffering. What does that mean? It says that Jesus was made perfect through his suffering. Okay, not a trick question. Before the cross, was Jesus perfect? Yeah, he, he never sinned, he's perfect. So what does it mean that Jesus was, you know, uh, made perfect through suffering? What, is, what does that mean? This is one of those confounding verses. And what it means is this, that you can know something, but you learn it at a deeper level once you experience it. So up in heaven watching us suffer, Jesus knew suffering. And then once he came to the earth and he endured suffering, he knew it to a depth and a level in a way that he could not have experienced it without actually experiencing it. How many of you know what this is like? How many of you are, some of you are single. Let me give you an example. Some of you are single. You're like, I've read all the marriage books. You know about marriage, but you don't know about marriage. Amen? Right? Till you get a spouse, right? You add another person and all of a sudden it's, it's a complex variable. Uh, you can, some of you are, are newly married and you can't wait to have kids and you're, you're you're talking to friends that have kids and you're playing with little kids. Maybe you're a big brother, big sister, but we really don't know what it's like to be a parent until you hold your kid, right? How many of your grandparents, I hear this all the time, like you, you're, you're gonna love being a grandparent. Well, I, I think I will, you know? So we're, we're hoping to have a lot of grandbabies someday, Lord willing. I think I'm gonna love being a grandpa, but I'm sure when I hold my grandbaby, I'll know what it's like to be a grandpa in a way that I don't know just watching other grandpas. There are things in life that you can only learn through experience. There are things in life that you can, you can study categorically, but you need to experience emotionally to really understand practically, okay? And so what that means for you and I, looking at the uh, Lord Jesus, is that in the midst of the suffering, the key is to be finding the glory. Um, glory is a word that means heaviness, it means weightiness. If you think of it as scales, um, when you're suffering, that suffering is heavy, it's weighty, amen? It kind of outweighs everything. That's why, that's why people that are suffering, sometimes they're not joyful because the, the suffering is greater than their joy or they're not very hopeful because the suffering is greater than their hope. Suffering is very heavy. That's what glory means. And what Jesus did while he was suffering, um, he found the glory and he wants to bring you and I to find the glory. And the glory is in the midst of the suffering, finding, discovering what is heavier than the suffering. 
Does this make any sense? Okay, think about this. I know some of you are like, gosh, he usually tells jokes. He's so funny. Why did I come? <laughs> I'll tell jokes next week. Um, in the midst of the suffering, it's like scales and the suffering is so weighty. And if you find the glory in the midst of the suffering, the glory outweighs the suffering. I'll give you some examples. Sometimes when you're suffering, the glory becomes a, a deep disdain and hatred for sin and the suffering that it causes. What usually happens is people hate the consequence of sin, but they don't hate the sin. Now, I'm not saying that all of your suffering is a result of sin. This is a fallen, broken world, and some things happen that are just a mystery. You know, why do ungodly people have healthy lives, and why do some godly people have chronic illness or ailment? But in the, in, the, in the moments of suffering, the glory can be, not only do I hate the consequence of sin, I just hate sin and what it's done to the world. Another glory that can be found in the midst of the suffering is a great love and appreciation for Jesus. That I made Jesus suffer. Jesus suffered more than I'm suffering and he suffered because I made him suffer. And he suffered because he loved me. I love Jesus so much and I appreciate so much his suffering. His suffering then becomes that glory point, that weighty point. Sometimes in the midst of the suffering, the glory point becomes, I am learning how to become more like Jesus through my suffering. Because he is the founder of our faith, but we're followers in that faith. And he is bringing us to the place of finding the glory in the midst of the school of suffering. And then maybe part of the, the glory weight can be some of the things that Jesus is teaching me, I now can use to love and serve others. That I can, as the Bible says, comfort others with the comfort that I've received. I could minister to others with the ministry that I've received. Because when someone is suffering and they meet someone who is suffering or has suffered what they are suffering, there's a trust. Oh, you've, you've been through this? Okay, well, I, I wanna talk to you. See, there's the glory point that the, the weight of the opportunity of the lesson and the school of suffering can outweigh uh, the pain of the suffering. Jesus was made perfect through his suffering. Here's what this means for you. He was, is perfect. But for you, how many of you wanna take increasing steps toward perfection? Becoming the person that God created you to be and destined you to be. How many of you, you wanna make forward progress toward the person you will be upon the resurrection of the dead when Jesus is all done with you and the perfect you shows up? It's suffering that gets us to perfection. Everybody I know votes yes for perfection and no for suffering. <laughs> They're like, are they a package deal? Can you vote for one? It's a group on suffering and character. I wish you could get character at Costco. I wish you could. If you get character at Costco, I tell you right now, everybody, just go get a Costco card, go to Costco, get a whole pallet, put it in your pantry. If you start running low on character, just take some out of the pantry. But you can't get character at Costco. You can only get character through suffering. You can only get experience through suffering. Next verse, you could suffer like your savior. Savior Jesus, um, here, the author of Hebrews 
is looking at the moment of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. It's late at night. He's in total anguish and agony. He can't sleep. How many of you have been there? Um, he asks his friends to pray for him. And what do they do? They sleep. So welcome to Christian friends. Um, and, uh, and he is up all night and he is pleading with the father because he knows that he is going to the cross. And he is having this intense conversation with the father. He says, if, if it be possible, take this cup of suffering, take this cup from me, it's a cup of suffering and the wrath of God. And it says that he is sweating like drops of blood, which medical doctors will say is, I think it's called hermodytrosis. It's, it's a medical condition under extreme duress and anxiety. And then he ultimately says, your will be done. He, he surrenders, but he, he struggles to get to the point of surrender. And so looking back and commenting on that, the author of Hebrews says, in the days of his flesh, while Jesus was on the earth as a man, God became a man, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. He's talking about the garden of Gethsemane. With what? Loud cries and tears. He's emotional. Let me say that when you're in the middle of it, it's okay to feel it. And sometimes as Christians, what we wanna do, we know that people are hurting or they're emotional or they're struggling. So we try to immediately just fast forward to the, to the end. Well, we're gonna rise from death and go to heaven. It's gonna be great. And you're like, yeah, but that's gonna be a while. Okay. Jesus knows that he's gonna rise from death. Jesus knows that he's gonna return to heaven. But in the moment, he's experiencing the pain of the suffering. And as Christians, we need to do both. We need to understand and be emotionally present in the moment while also trusting God with hope for the long future, okay? He has loud cries and tears. He's very emotional. He's, he's struggling, he's hurting. Some of you, you, when we talked about emotions and the emotional life of Jesus a few weeks ago, you know, some of you are probably shocked that Jesus was so emotional and passionate. You need to be emotional and passionate, especially in those difficult seasons. It's healthy. To him, so he doesn't gossip, he doesn't blame shift, he's not ranting, he takes it to God. Let God be your lightning rod, right? When the storm comes and the lightning hits, let the Lord ground out your storm. You see this in the book of Psalms and other places. People are struggling and they're emotional and they bring it to the Lord and the Lord's the lightning rod that grounds out the storm so that you don't blow someone and something else up. Um, he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. There are times that obeying God means walking on a path of suffering and those are the times that obedience is the most costly. And he learned obedience through his suffering. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God uh, a high priest. What he's talking about here is how Jesus suffered. And I, I wrote some things down. I was thinking about it on the flight yesterday. There are different ways that different people deal with their suffering. Some people are the fixer. You know who the fixer is? Tell me what the problem is and I'll, I'll fix it, okay? Some people, this is their life. There's a problem, I'll just fix it. Some of you, this is your friend. They're like, what's the problem? I'll fix it. You're married to this person. 
what's the problem? I'll fix it. You're the problem. Rot row. You know, so, um, so I'll throw in a few jokes, keep you with me. Okay. So are there things that you can't fix or things? And what I would say is if you can fix it, fix it. You're like, I'm not healthy, but I think I can make some lifestyle changes and become healthy. Well then fix it. But there are things you can't fix, right? You loved your spouse, they died. You can't fix that. You were pregnant, you had a miscarriage. You can't fix that. Right? You, were, you were married and they left and it's over. You can have a funeral, but you can't have a fix. So, some people, they're not the fixer, they're the denier. And they, they, they will use verses, oftentimes, religious deniers will deny reality and use a Bible verse, which is not what it's for. The denier is, nothing happened, I'm fine, it'll be, it'll be okay. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. Jesus is not able to avoid his suffering and he is not denying his suffering. He's dealing with reality and it's important to deal with reality. Uh, some people are the medicator. I am suffering and I don't wanna feel it and so I self-medicate. This is where we do drugs. This is where we self-medicate with alcohol. This is where we have comfort food. Jesus said he'd send the Holy Spirit as the comforter. And rather than going to the Lord, we go to the fridge. We get comfort food instead of the comforter, right? We self-medicate, trying to soothe the body as it's suffering. There is the rebel. The rebel is the person who says, I'm suffering, therefore I have a right to kind of say and do what I want. It's like, hey, that's wrong. Well, look, I, I, I'm in a rough place. I, I have a right. There's almost this sense of entitlement. Life is hard, so I kind of get to rebel for a while. And it doesn't make life better. There is the manipulator. And the manipulator has learned, if I'm suffering and I tell my tragic, terrible tale, I get to manipulate other people. They will let me get away with things that I shouldn't get away with. Well, you know, she's been through a lot. She's had a hard life. So we kind of let her be like that. Was that good for her? No. Well, why don't you do anything? I guess we're being manipulated. Or they've learned if, if I talk about my tragic, terrible tale, people give me money. This is be prof or people, they, they take my responsibility so I can be irresponsible. Or they sort of orbit around me and then I'm kind of like God and everybody just serves me like the angels serve the Lord. And I get to kind of be lazy and irresponsible. And, and if they tell me to be responsible, I just tell my terrible tale and then they feel terrible and I manipulate them. Well, the suffering may be very real, but that is not becoming like Jesus through the suffering. The way through your suffering is worshiping, okay? It's worshiping. So when you're suffering, um, you know, the counterbalance, the glory weight is worshiping. And that's what he says Jesus is doing here. He's worshiping. He is, um, he's in the presence of God. And he is articulating 
let me say three things here about Jesus worshiping. Is it, I'll ask a question. Is Jesus suffering in the garden here that Hebrews is depicting, is it emotional? Yes. Okay. Now, if you're always emotional, right? You got to dial it back. Okay. But if you're never emotional, you got to dial it up. Worship is emotional. Loud cries and tears is emotional. Okay. Uh, next question. Is it, is Jesus worship here? Is it relational? Yeah. He is meeting with God the Father and God the Son is meeting with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit is present. And so he's emotional and he is relational. I gotta get with the Lord and we gotta talk about this and work this through. And let me ask you this, is he honest? He's honest. So when you're suffering, the counterbalance, the glory weight is, I need to worship God in the midst of this. How do I do that? I need to be emotional. God, here's where I'm at. Cries and tears and stay up all night if you need to. Jesus did, it's apparently not a sin. Relational, I'm gonna bring this to you. And it's honest. This is exactly where I'm at and what is going on. There are certain books of the Bible like Lamentations and Psalms. They are sort of, bird's eye views of people who are struggling and suffering. And and as you read, you might be shocked how much God puts up with when suffering people talk to him. How many of you, I don't know if you've ever done this. If you've read the Psalms, you're just like, wow, that's a little raw. (laughs) Somebody's angry. And, And it's God's way of saying, be honest with me, be relational with me, be emotional with me, And if there are adjustments that need to be made, I'll make those adjustments, but let's start where you are. Isn't that wonderful of God? God will start where you are and through worship, bring you to where you need to be. Um, And you can suffer like your savior through worship. What this leads to is something that I'll call learning to lament. And this is all in chapter nine and 10 in the Spirit-Filled Jesus book. Uh, Lament is the biblical category for grieving and worshiping through suffering. Um, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. Jesus weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus. Um, There is a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. It's all laments. The Psalms, there's 150 Psalms, songs. The largest category of them are Psalms of lament. So this is normal. In our world, we don't know how to grieve. We don't know how to process pain. We don't know how to emotionally heal. Um, And the worst thing that we do is uh, we just isolate ourselves. And that's very different than solitude. Solitude is where you meet with the Lord. Isolation is where you just disconnect from God and his people. That's a very dangerous place to be. Lamenting is solitude where you go to the Lord and it's honest and it's emotional and it's relational and you're giving language, you're articulating, you're expressing what you're experiencing and feeling. This is prayer. Let me say this about prayer and about singing, which is a form of prayer. God doesn't need you to sing or pray. You need you to sing or pray. 
God already knows what's in your heart. And as you sing and pray, you're figuring out what's in your heart and you're working out what's in your heart. It says this in Romans eight, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Isn't that good news? When you're weak, God, the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit and he sends the Holy Spirit. He says him as our helper. So when we're hurting, we're struggling, we're suffering, the Holy Spirit comes to help us in our weakness. For Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. You ever been there? You're like, how, how many of you, you've, you love somebody and you're like, tell me what's going on. They're like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to articulate what I'm going through or how I'm feeling. Well, the good news is the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God, the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to articulate to God in worship and prayer what you're feeling. And at the times that it is so deep that there aren't even words to express it, there's just emotions to feel it. The Holy Spirit can interpret not only the words that you speak, but the feelings that you have. This is the presence of the Holy Spirit that brings emotional health in the believer, helps them to unburden. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He goes to the long view. That's that great verse that so many Christians know. God works out all things for the good of those who love him or call according to his purpose. It, let me just tell you something, friend. It doesn't say in this life. A lot of things aren't gonna get straightened out until the kingdom of God. Some things will, but a lot of things won't get straight down to the kingdom of God. You say, well, if, if I gotta wait till the kingdom of God, what do I do in the meantime? You worship, you learn to lament, you invite the Holy Spirit, and he is constantly interceding and praying for you, unlike Jesus' friends who fell asleep when he needed them to intercede and pray for him. The Holy Spirit is always on duty to intercede and pray for you. And even the things that you are feeling that you don't have the language to articulate, he translates that and brings that to the Father. And this is what happens in lamenting. So. A couple of things, I made a little bit of a list for you. Um, when you lament, you allow yourself to feel. Some people, it hurts, so they just literally decided, I don't wanna hurt, therefore I'm not going to feel. That's when you become non-emotional. That's when you become non-relational. Right, you look at soldiers that have come back from war, or, you know, people that have been through trauma, the pain was so great that they literally just shut down Lamenting allows you to start feeling in a healthy way. Because if you don't feel anything, you won't feel pain. You also won't feel love. You won't feel hope. You won't feel peace and you won't feel joy. And it's better to feel some pain along with the fullness of God's intent for your emotional life than nothing at all. When you lament, you process your pain. You're, what happened? Where am I? What is going on? What is God teaching me? It starts to bring you some progress through a process uh, when you lament, you grieve your victim mindset and you see where you may have participated. Sometimes when we're hurting, it's just all about the pain. But when we lament, it's like, okay, have I said or done anything that has contributed to this? Maybe you're not fully responsible. Maybe some of you with some things, you're total victims. And I apologize for that. And I wanna be empathetic. Other times you're like, I kind of participated in this. Or as a result of my suffering, have I hurt others? The things that I'm saying and doing, the burdens that I'm shifting, am I now causing others to suffer? When you lament, you don't lash out in vengeance at others. Ours is a broken world where someone is hurt and so they hurt someone 
and then that person is hurt and they hurt someone and then that person is hurt and they hurt someone and the whole world is just caught in this demonic web of self-destruction, right? And the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Some of you are like, I want justice. Well, it's either gonna come at the cross or hell for everybody. So in not seeking vengeance, you're just taking that case and you're handing it to judge Jesus and you're saying, you try it and you render a verdict and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop the pursuit of winning and I'm gonna start the pursuit of worshiping, okay? Um, when you lament, you learn to empathize with those who are hurting. All of a sudden your eyes become open to other people who are hurting and suffering. All of a sudden you realize that you're not the only person who's really having a hard day and you have a compassion and a kindness toward others. It's where sometimes suffering people can be very, very selfish people and lamenting helps to correct that. When you lament, you feel hope for the future. If all you do is focus all of your energies on the pain of your past, but you don't emotionally process, unburden, pray, heal, get time with the Lord, you're unable to move forward. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward. Lamenting allows that to happen. I've never seen anyone drive well looking in the rearview mirror. How many of you on the way home, you're like, I'm just gonna look in the rearview mirror the whole, let me just tell you, you're not gonna get home, it's gonna be a bad day for you. Lamenting allows you to deal with the past, understand the past, and then proceed forward into the future with some hope. And then lastly, when you lament, you, you escape anger and depression. Most men who are angry are actually depressed. When women start to feel depressed, they manifest their depression with weepiness, with sadness, with crying. Most men, true or false, were not really fond of that because it seems weak and emotional. So what men do, they transfer over to anger and aggression because the adrenaline fires on and then we feel strong. For years, the primary clinical diagnosis of depression was largely female because the symptoms of depression were female symptoms of depression. Men process their depression differently. They get angry, they get aggressive, they get ornery. Almost every man I've ever met with that had an anger problem, he, he had a broken place in his soul, something happened in his life, he was suffering, he never lamented that process that healed from that. He didn't like the depression and the weepiness and the emotion of it, so he overcompensates by just being a tough, angry, alpha male. I tend to attract a lot of those men, so welcome to the Trinity Church. And thank you for bringing your husband. But as you lament, what it allows you to do is to learn some things and to get healthy so you can help others. So then the next point is great ministry comes from great pain. How do I know that? The greatest ministry in the history of the world is the ministry of Jesus, which came from the greatest pain in the history of the world. Hebrews says it this way, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He suffered as you suffer. He endures what you're enduring so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when it's tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You have a God who is a priest. Now that's language that 
Oftentimes we don't know, but they would have been familiar with it. The priest was the holy man of God. And he was a mediator, right? When you have a relational breach or a problem, you bring in a mediator to try and represent both sides and create some resolution, whatever that resolution may be. We sinned against God. Jesus comes as our high priest. He's fully God and fully man. So he's the only one to really work out this problem between God and man. And as our high priest, the high priest in that day would go into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place of earth, uh, on earth, the presence of God. Well, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the Holy of Holies. He's the most sacred place on the earth. So he is the temple. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in him. Um, he is the priest coming to mediate. And what the priest would do, the priest's job was largely to intercede for the sins of the people through sacrifice. And what the priest would do, they would take the animal without spot or blemish, symbolizing sinlessness or perfection, all foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they would name the sins of the people. And then that animal, the sins would be imputed, reckoned to that animal. And then they would slaughter that animal and that animal would die as a substitute because the wage or penalty for sin is death. And so their worship was a bloody worship and it was an expensive worship. And the Bible calls that propitiation. It's a word that appears four times in the New Testament, but it's the language of a substitute. So what he's talking about is Jesus is our priest and our propitiation. He's the one who comes to reconcile us to God. And he's the one who comes to give his life in our place for our sins. The sacrifice would happen during the season of Passover so that God's wrath would literally pass over the people who by faith had substituted uh, some sacrifice without spot or blemish in their place for their sins. Here's what I need you to know. If you believe in Jesus, God loves you. He's not angry at you. If you believe in Jesus, God is not punishing you. He's already punished Jesus. There may be a consequence for your sin. If, if you belong to Jesus, you have a priest who understands what you've been through and he relates to what you're enduring. He's overcome what you've faced. He's felt what you feel and he brings your needs into the very presence of the Father and he sends the spirit to help you endure and overcome by the same power that he lived by. Jesus is sympathetic. Jesus is compassionate. When we looked at Jesus' emotional life, I told you that there are 60 scriptures in the four gospels mentioning the emotional life of Jesus. Do you remember what the most common emotion of Jesus mentioned in the gospels is? Compassion. Compassion. Empathy. Do you know how you get compassion and empathy? You suffer. And then you have a growing affection and awareness of the suffering of others. Jesus suffered more than anyone. So he has deeper compassion, greater affection, stronger empathy than anyone, right? He, he understands, he gets it. And what he does is he takes his suffering and he uses it to minister to others. And I would ask you in a humble way, not an arrogant way, through your suffering, what are you learning so that it can become a place of ministry for you. A lot of people ask, 
I don't know what my ministry is. Who do you have a burden for? What do you have a burden for? Or what have you been through that has given you some insight that could be of help to someone else? But let me say this. You need to be humble about this. And if somebody's going to allow you to minister to them and their suffering, they need to invite you. Sometimes people are like, I've been through that. Let me tell you what to do. You're like, look, you didn't knock on the door and I didn't open it. You kicked it down and bum rushed me, okay? And this is, a, this, is, this is compassion and humility, even with those who are suffering and saying, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. I love you. I'm praying for you. If you would ever wanna talk, I'll, let me share a little bit of my story. This is what I've been through. And if you got people to talk to or walk with or process with, that's awesome. But if you would give me the honor, I would like to walk with you and process with you and be someone who is there to help you if, if that is something that you would be open to, okay? Because sometimes we think I've learned so much and I'm so excited about what I've experienced and what God has shown me that I wanna give it to you, but they need to be ready to receive it, amen? But your greatest ministry comes from your greatest pain. And then the, the last scripture, Jesus sends the spirit to help you when you suffer. Um, Peter says this, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. That's a great word, amen? How many of you, when you're suffering, you wonder if God loves you? When you're hurting, you wonder if God loves you? He does. He loves you with a father's affection. Beloved, that's the kind of language you use for your kid or your grandkid, amen? Maybe, maybe your granddaughter. Beloved? God has a father's affection toward you. And when you're suffering, you need to remember who he is. You need to remember how he feels about you, okay? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, right? A fiery trial is something that feels like you're entering into hell. You know, hell's all about fire. There are trials that come in life. You're like, man, I feel like I'm walking into hell. Like this is just death and devastation and destruction and pain and sorrow and grief. And I know I'm not going to hell, but I feel like I'm going through hell right now. He says, don't be surprised because suffering is part of the human experience. How many of you, you've really struggled with this? You're like, I can't believe things keep happening. Like, Here's the storyline of the Bible. We have sinned against God. The whole world is cursed. Satan and demons are at war. We make foolish decisions. Therefore, tomorrow, something's gonna go wrong. And every day people wake up and they're like, I can't believe that happened. I'm just telling you, I don't know what it is, but it's coming, okay? And some of you just keep waiting. You think, tomorrow I'm gonna get it all together. And you're like, dang it. Okay, well, then the next day, dang it. And some of you are 80 and you're like, yeah, it's not come together. Okay, let me just tell you, you're gonna die. It's all gonna come together. Until then, you're gonna be stacking jello. Okay, that's just how life is. As though something strange were happening to you. What has gone wrong? You know, this world is not our home. We're not there yet. When we get to the kingdom, it's gonna be amazing. Until we get to the kingdom, it's going to be frustrating. And I'll say this too, I think the more that you understand the character of God and the kingdom of God, the more 
the more you find this world to be really a terrible place to be. The more I read the Bible, the more I realize how awful this world is. When I see what it's all gonna be like when Jesus is done and then I see where we're at, I know that this is as bad as the Bible says that it is. But rejoice, right? That's the glory weight. Find something in the middle of it to thank God for. Find a counterbalance for the suffering. I've told you before, there was a pastor friend of mine. He said that life is not a good season and a bad season. It's always two train tracks, good and bad simultaneous, right? When all the weight is over on the track of suffering and hardship, you've got to, you know, glory counterbalance it. You've got to find reasons to rejoice. If nothing else, the rejoicing is one day this suffering will be over and I'll be with Jesus and it's gonna be awesome forever. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. He's talking about suffering for righteousness. Sometimes we suffer because we did something really bad. This is talking about suffering when you have not done something bad. You may also rejoice and be glad when his what? His glory is revealed in your life, in your soul, in your circumstances. God, this is what is happening. And then God showed up in glory and and the weightiness of his presence and provision, it supernaturally outweighed the weightiness of the suffering. And I thought the weightiness of the suffering was the heaviest weight of all, but the weight of the glory of God is even greater than the weight of the suffering. How many of you, you know that you know this because you've been through this, right? You've, you've gone through, you've gone through your fiery trial. You're like, I went through hell and God showed up and I can't tell you that I wanted it, but I will tell you that I wouldn't trade it because what I learned and who I became is something that I couldn't have received in any other way. That's where faith kicks in. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is when you're suffering, the Holy Spirit comes upon you as he came upon Jesus in greater glory, meaning in heavier weightedness, in greater strength. How many of you love someone who loves the Lord and you've seen them go through something, you're like, I don't even know how they survived that. Because the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he showed up in greater glory, in greater measure, in greater strength, in greater intensity, because when we're weak, we're strong through his strength. And as a result, the spirit of glory rested upon them. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit who actually not only enabled them to endure it, but to grow through it. So in the midst of the suffering, it's like, where is the Holy Spirit? Where is the glory of God? And, um, and let, me, let me close with this as your, as your pastor. So our family went through, some of you are going through things that are exceedingly worse than what we went through. Okay? But for us, it was the hardest season of our whole life and ministry. It was fiery trials, seems pretty good to me. And what I did in that season was started journaling. Sometimes what I was feeling, it was processing. And whole sections of the Bible are actually people's journal entries. So this is a good thing to do. It's a way to worship and pray and process. 
And as I was learning things, sometimes through the scriptures or experience or conversations or people that were ministering to us, I'd write them down. And I have, I have a little stack of journals. And so I went through the journals and I just wanted to share some things uh, with you because I love you and I hope that they would be helpful. And in that season, the spirit of glory uh, rested upon me and my family in a remarkable way. Um, first thing is, Find reality. When you're suffering, find reality. Right. What is going on? Where are we? What are we doing? Is it cancer? Okay. Um, you know, because sometimes we can try and minimize it or sometimes we globalize it. Minimizing is where we're not dealing with reality. It's a bigger problem and we need to put more energy toward it. Globalizing is it's not catastrophic, but we're making it the end of the world. So, Find reality, that'll help you against minimizing and globalizing. Number two, when you're in the middle of your suffering, look down the road as far as you can see, okay? And sometimes when you're suffering or in your hard season, you can't see very far into the future. Some of you are like, I need a 10-year plan. Some of you need a 10-minute plan because <laughs> that's as far as you can see, right? Like if you get hospitalized and you're not sure what's going on, you plan as far as you can see. The Bible says, thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. That's a candle in the middle of the night. It's not a high beam. A lot of us wish we had a high beam. I wish I could see way into the future. Number one, it would freak you out. <laughs> it would. <laughs> because you're like, I'm, I'm not gonna make it. That's gonna be horrible. And you'll be anxious between now and then. So God loves you, so he doesn't tell you, right? And what he wants you to live by is faith, not sight. And faith is, I trust a God who sees what I don't see. Okay? I trust a God who controls a future that I don't control. And it's, it's seeing as far into the future as you could see. Um, choose wise counsel. Uh, find people upon whom the spirit of glory and God rests. Sometimes in the middle of our suffering, we invite the wrong people in. You're just like, you're hurting. First thing you do is call your family. And 30 seconds later, you're like, this was not the right call. <laughs> this was not the right. Just because we have the same last name does not mean that you are the most helpful, <laughs> right? Or sometimes we're just hurting and we just sort of welcome in whoever happens to be around. Seek wise counsel, godly, mature, healthy believers, and let them know that if they're going to walk with you, they need to stick with you through the process. Because sometimes we're hurting and we dump on someone and then we're frustrated because they're not there for us. Well, they didn't agree to that relationship and we didn't articulate that that was what we were inviting them into. Seek wise counsel. Number four, I was thinking about it. One of the things I wrote down in my journal was follow the compass, not the clock. When you're suffering, oftentimes we want deadlines, right? How many of you are deadline people? How many of you are like, Pastor Mark, you preach for an hour, you have one minute left and uh, you're, okay, I'm gonna go over it as a ministry to you, okay? <laughs> as a ministry to you, okay? The clock is I want deadlines and I want timelines. The compass is I'm gonna go the direction that the Lord is leading me and I'm gonna take things as they work themselves out. Follow the compass, not the clock, All right? The compass is God's will. The clock is God's timing. 
Try not to leak or vent. Somebody say, what does that mean? That means you're the leaker and the venter. The person who came with you will tell you on the way home exactly what that means. And what this is, is I'm hurting, I'm frustrated, but now I start leaking and venting on people that are not part of the solution. I make them very awkward, right? Sometimes we do this to our own children because they happen to be present when we're hurting. You just dump it on them. Your dad left, he committed adultery, he loved another woman, could you believe that? The kid's like, you just shot me in the soul. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You dump this on me. This is not my burden to carry. I'm your kid, not your comforter. You need the Holy Spirit. We can leak or vent. How many of you, you love someone and they are suffering, but you just avoid them because they keep leaking and venting and they're not healing and worshiping. Um, What Grace and I decided in the midst of it is that we would carry one another. There were days that she felt strong and I felt weak and I just say, honey, I'm not doing great today. I need to carry, you pray, you check in on. Next day she'd be like, I'm not doing great. I'd be like, well, today I think I'm doing better. God was gracious and so we would carry one another on the hard days, built our friendship. So thank you for that. Be extra gracious to one another when things are tough. You're suffering, it's a hard season. Give a little bit of grace, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. It's a glory, the Bible says, to overlook an offense. And if you're the person who's suffering, know that you're probably a little more irritable and a little less charitable and be self-aware of that. Practice the ministry of presence. The spirit of glory, that's the presence of God. Um, says that it rests upon you. When Jesus was baptized, it says in two of the four gospels, well, in all four gospels, that the Holy Spirit descended upon him. In two of the four gospels, it says that the Holy Spirit rested on him. All of Jesus' life, the spirit of glory, the Holy Spirit rested upon him. That's the ministry of presence. It is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God that gets people through life in a healthy way. And so it is also an honor to practice the ministry of presence. How many of you uh, have ever been to a hospital? In a hospital? In addition to the bed that the person who is suffering sleeps in, what else is there in the room? There's a chair that folds out as a bed and is very uncomfortable. And a grown man does not fit in. And it costs a lot of money for the worst hotel ever. And people sleep in those chairs, why? The ministry of presence. I can't fix it, but I can be here. True or false, just the presence of a good person is a ministry. See, the fixer doesn't get this. The fixer is the one who's always like, what can I do? Just be here. No, what do I do? Be here. Being here is doing something. Focus on health and wellness, not only your soul, but your body. Am I getting my sleep? Am I hydrated? Am I eating well? Because you're physical and spiritual and the material and the immaterial, they impact and affect one another. So overall wellness is doubly important during season of suffering. 
Um, do life with people who are suffering more than you. Um, I'm, I'm over time, but I think it's important. When we were in the worst of the worst of the worst, worst season of our whole life, some of our dearest friends, they got four kids, two of the kids got spina bifida. Can't function from the waist down. Little wheelchairs and walkers. We love this family very much and the spirit of the glory of God rests on their children and their home. They're a beautiful family. And when crisis comes, they make a roughly three hour drive to the nearest children's hospital, drop everything for some emergency surgery. They have made that three hour drive in an emergency over a hundred times. Their little kids have been cut and 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 cut. They are a glorious family. They're highly compassionate, one of my dearest friends. We are in the midst of the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. And this family has an emergency surgery, so they jump in their car. So we call them and say, you can come stay with us for a month. The family with four kids, two with spina bifida, one in for an emergency surgery, lived with us. We kept going to the hospital to see the little girl. I never forget, she came out of surgery. They shaved all of her beautiful blonde hair off. She had a big scar over her head. And I remember in that moment thinking, I don't have problems that are this big. When you do life in a season of suffering with people who are suffering, you realize that actually you wouldn't trade your suffering for their suffering because their suffering is greater. In that moment, I thought, Everything I'm going through, my babies are healthy and okay. And I'm not thinking about preaching their funeral. And what they're going through is so worse. That little girl, I was at her bedside when she came out of surgery, head shaved, head cut open, scars. She was very dry-lipped from the surgery, dehydrated, and she opened one eye. And I was, so I, I was there. Hi, sweetheart. I said, how are you doing? I'm worried about you. She said, oh, Pastor Mark, I'm fine. I'm more worried about you. How are you doing? Little girl. The spirit of glory rests upon her. There is a Christ-like character that comes out of her because of her suffering. I grieve her suffering, but I rejoice in her character. This family lived with us for a month and watching how they do life with their beautiful children, it gave me some perspective on what we were going through. I want you to steward your suffering. We steward our money, we steward our time. We need to steward our suffering. It's expensive, how can we get the most out of it? It's valuable. How can we get a good return on investment? And to do that, I'll close with this. You need to schedule Appointments with the Lord. Silence, solitude, prayer, journaling, worship in the presence of God. In our worst season, I scheduled these appointments with the Lord. And I would come with questions and I would fast and pray and I would tell Grace and others, I'm gonna go meet with the Lord today. I need to unburden some things. I need to articulate some things. I need to weep and cry and lament some things. And I need to ask the Lord some things. And there were times that he actually spoke to me and told me exactly what to do. And there are other times he said, you just need to trust me. You may not have known this, but 
he scheduled a meeting with you right now. That's why you're here. So in a moment, we're gonna partake of communion. Uh, that's to remember Jesus' broken body and shed blood that our God suffered and comforts those who are suffering. We're gonna collect our tithes and offerings right now. And I wanna thank you for your generosity as we're a healthy and growing church family. And I'll tell you this, this is a wonderful church family with wonderful people. You have been wonderful to my family and I, we love you very much. And this is a great place for hurting people to get healthy, amen? We wanna be that place. And I'm gonna invite the band up at this point. And I just want you to stay seated as we collect our tithes and offerings. And I want you to take a few minutes and have a meeting with the Lord, okay? I want you to listen, I want you to talk, I want you to meet with the Lord. And maybe it's not a season of suffering for you, but maybe it is a season of suffering for someone you love. Then take a moment and pray and intercede for them. I'm gonna ask the band to sing the first song through one time and for you just to sit and be ministered to and to have it to be a prayer over you. And then Pastor Dustin is gonna ask you to stand and he's gonna ask you and invite you to join him in singing. And this is our time to meet with the Lord, amen? And, and the reason that we set our service up this way, I don't want you to just understand the word of God and go home. I want you to meet with God after you hear from God before you leave to obey God. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.